praise be to the lord hallelujah uh indeed a great pleasure to stand at one more time to share god's word and i thank the pastor family for giving me the privilege and i thank god for the wonderful fellowship that he has given us and to and also greetings from the church in brunei and as uh, pastor thambi was sharing i was just the thought came into my mind because on august 15 we have a wonderful meeting for women and i was just thinking and thambi said a woman can understand women better <laughs> and i was thinking man is still struggling in spite of 6000 years man is still struggling to understand women <laughs> hope the meeting will be a blessed one for all of us hallelujah <laughs> shall we bow down and pray that the lord will speak to us our loving heavenly father we praise you and thank you for this wonderful time father god we thank you lord for the great privilege to stand before you in your presence to glorify your name and to worship you and to meditate your your word open our hearts and mind to know what you have done for us on the cross and lord we humbly pray that as we leave this place that we will leave with a better understanding of your love towards us and how much you care for us we pray for each and every one in this room the holy spirit lord minister to us in jesus name we pray amen this morning we are going to meditate on cross and uh, you know as, as soon as we say cross it once it was a symbol of shame and once it was a, a symbol of humiliation and defeat but now because of one man the son of man the son of god because of one man the cross has become a symbol of victory and deliverance and joy and hope so we are going to see what god has done for us on the cross and what it means what the bible says about the relationship between cross and to us and first of all i would like to say the cross has two beams you know as we know the cross has got two beams and one beam is a vertical beam we can say figuratively it speaks about my relationship or our relationship with mighty god and the second beam which is horizontal it also speaks about our relationship with other fellow believers and that's what paul so paul also emphasizes it when he is writing it to the churches especially to the church in ephesians and colossians and thessalonians he says i praise god for the faith you have towards god and the love you have towards other fellow saints so we know that when we say the cross it also speaks about my relationship with the mighty god almighty god and also my relationship with the brothers and sisters in christ and john says we we have not seen god but uh, we know that god is love and if you are unable to love a brother or sister who is in christ then you have not really known god you know john in his epistle that's what he says so that means we understand that love loving a brother or sister in our in the uh, church when i say church it is every believers through that we express our love towards god and somebody said uh, you know in the car we have a dipstick you know when you keep checking the engine oil the same manner love is the dipstick of how close relationship we have with god the love towards our neighbor and towards our brothers and sisters now we this regarding the cross we are going to meditate on three topics and if time permits we will try to finish it or i will try to rush it in or whichever is uh, convenient for me okay okay now first we are going to see about cross and christ now we know that jesus died on the cross 
And we know that what all he suffered on the cross and all the th blessings that he received for us on the cross. But at the same time, we have to understand that why should Jesus die on the cross? We're going to see a few points here. Um, somebody, was, somebody asked, uh, what would be the thickness of the door of Noah's Ark? Anybody have any idea? The Bible doesn't give any measurement about the thickness of Noah's the, uh, door of Noah's Ark. He speaks about how long it should be and how high it should be and where should be the door and the window. But it doesn't speak about the thickness. Okay, and uh, the answer is, the, I will just explain it just a little further. The Noah's Ark, you know, that there's the judgment of, judgment of God and people were dying outside, but inside there was life. That's how it is, right? People, there's death outside, but life inside. The same manner, God says there is death outside the cross, but there is life inside the cross. Okay, now what could be the thickness of the cross, of the Noah's uh, door? Is the thickness of the cross. I do not know how much it is, but life inside the cross and death outside the cross. The same thing, you have to understand, cross is not something that is very easy. You should see it as a symbol where it stands between life and death. Now, cross is the place where God's judgment, mighty judgment came on the mankind. Okay, now why should Jesus die on the cross? We are going to say, uh, we read from the word of God, the Jewish custom for capital punishment, or if somebody has to be killed, usually they stone them to death. You know, that is the Jewish method. The Israelites, they had the law. It says if anybody has done anything wrong, then they, he has to be stoned to death. And um, we read in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16. Here it says, he has, if he has done blasphemy, he has to be stoned to death. Okay, now, and also when we come to the New Testament time in John chapter 10, verse 33, if you turn to John chapter 10, verse 33, there, uh, people actually took stones to you know, kill Jesus. In John chapter 10, verse 33. Okay, here it says that uh, the Jews, they took stones and they said, we, are, we want to kill you with stone because you blasphemed. You, you, you are a man, but you said you are a god. So here we find the Jewish custom is to stone somebody to death. Uh, and also we know that when Stephen, you know, we have in the Acts chapter 7, when uh, Stephen was speaking to the Jewish elders, they got so angry and they just took stones and killed him to death. And that is the Jewish way of uh, capital punishment. Now, frankly speaking, that should be what Jesus must have been undergone, isn't it? He being a Jew, he was you know, given over by the Jews, the high priest and the Jews to be killed. And actually he should, because they said he has blasphemed and he should be stoned to death. But God's divine plan is Stoning to death is not God's plan for to how Jesus should die. God planned that Jesus should die on the cross. Now, what is the relationship? Because cross for the Jews during even in the Old Testament time for the Jew, the Israelites cross didn't mean anything because they were much later that the cross came. And also, we read in um, chapter. Uh, we turn to. Deuteronomy, if you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 21, Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22 and 23, Deuteronomy chapter 21, 22 and 23. 
on the tree overnight. Be sure to bury him that same day, because anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Yeah. We find a odd verse in between all the Old Testament laws and the rules and regulation. We find one odd verse. It says, you hang a man on a tree and he should not be left for, to be hanged overnight because cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And while Paul is writing his epistle to the Galatians, he just remembers that one verse, that odd verse, then he brings to bring it to the Galatian church. And he says in the Galatians, chap, cha, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, he says, Cursed be everyone who hangs on a tree. You see how well God is connecting things in order to fulfill what he has planned. And cursed be everyone who hangs on a tree. And somebody said, the cause of sin is from a tree. You know, it is God said, don't eat this fruit. So sin came from a tree and God made atonement on a tree to get rid of the sin from the tree. So cursed be everyone who hangs on a tree because sin came from a tree. God threw the tree. Even Paul, while uh, Peter writing to his, uh, about that in um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Uh, Peter say, P Peter doesn't use the word cross, he uses the word tree. You can just imagine how well God has put certain things in the right place. Sin came from a tree and God made a redemption on a tree. So we find even when God has given some instructions to the Israelites, even though some of the things were very strange to them, but still it is going to be fulfilled sometime later. And we are going to further, we are going to read further few things. If you turn to Psalms chapter 22. Psalms chapter 22 is a big passage. You can just uh, keep it open. The Psalm 22 is actually is a messianic psalm and speaks about the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, David is writing the Psalms and he writes nearly 1,000 years before the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. David doesn't know anything about cross because cross came much later. Eh? So David doesn't know anything about the cross, but by inspired by the Holy Spirit, David begins to write, in, and in Psalm 22, he says, um, from 6 to 15, he speaks about the uh, various incidences that happened on the cross. If you read slowly from 6 to 15, you will find many things that uh, the psalmist uh, David has written, literally fulfilled on the cross. So I was 30 and my, my dress was, you know, they cast Lord to you know, take my dress. All these things are fulfilled. But one, some specific things are there. If you read verse 16, can you read verse 16 of Psalm 22? For dogs have surrounded me, the assembly of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Yeah, very clearly Bible says in Psalms 22, it says, he pierced my, they pierced my hands and my feet. Now, that can happen only on the cross. Whereas, in David's time, he doesn't know anything about the cross. He doesn't know. But inspire the Holy Spirit, because that is the time that Jesus is going to die. And some say that David is writing that he will be pierced on the cross. Now, not only that, actually, this um, uh, David's psalm he wrote 1,000 years ago. But we have another incident in Isaiah chapter 53. If we turn to Isaiah chapter 53, uh, Isaiah chapter 53, there he says he'll be, uh, 50, verse 5, can somebody read verse 5 of Isaiah 53? Yeah, he was pierced for our transgression. Isaiah wrote 800 years ago. 
You can just imagine. Isaiah didn't know anything, didn't know anything about the cross. And 800 years ago, and he's writing that he'll be pierced. And David, 1,000 years much ahead of Isaiah, and he says he will be pierced. And all that can happen only on the cross. Now you can understand how the writer, why Jesus had to die on the cross. We saw two points. Now we continue to see. If we turn to Daniel, the book of Daniel, we find there's a king, you know, King Belshazzar, and he had a dream. And this was about 600 years before the time of Christ. And he had a dream, and in that dream, he, had, he saw a big statue, and the statue was made of gold and of silver, then uh, uh, brass, and then iron, and then clay and iron mixed. And he says that then a stone which was, uh, you know, which he was hewn out of without man's hand, it came and hit the statue at the feet and the whole thing was broken and the stone, it grew and became large. That's what we read in the uh, Daniel chapter 2. Now, this, um, we know that uh, gold, it stands for the kingdom of Babylon. Babylon did not have cross. Okay, keep in mind, Babylon did not have cross. Then came the silver, the Medo-Persians. They too did not have the cross. Then came the uh, Greece, uh, Greece, and they also did not have the cross. And it was the Romans who took cross as a punishment. And even Roman, even during the time of these uh, Romans, they used to carry the capital punishment in three ways. One is they behead. We know John, when he was in the prison, John the Baptist, when King Herod had all this uh, wonderful party and all that, and he killed, they used to behead, you know, just cut off the head. And second way of the death is put them in the arena, you know, the Roman Colosseum, you see. They just put the, all the convicts inside and let go the lions or tiger war, all these animals, and see them killed. Another one method is the cross. And the cross is set aside to be a most humiliating death. We have to keep in mind, Jesus was not behead. He was not thrown into the arena. But he died on the cross because it was something to be despised. You know, the most humiliating death that a man can experience, it was on the cross. Why we say it's the most humiliating death is because, you know, uh, all when we look at the pictures of Jesus on the cross, for dignity's sake, they cover him up. But literally, when he hung on the cross, he hung in such a way that people would not look at him. You know, that's the way they used to kill people on the cross. It was such a shameful death that Jesus underwent for you and I. So in the Daniel prophecy, we see that it was only during the time of Romans that cross started to be used, and the cross was made into a, you know, something of a part of this punishment. And because of all these prophecies have to be fulfilled, God had to wait, or I wouldn't say God had to wait, God made in such a way that only at the time of Romans that Jesus should be killed. If you read the New Testament, the Gospels, we read about how Jesus, there were times that Jesus was about to be killed. You know, I can uh, remember two incidents. You know, people took stones to kill Jesus, but they could not do it. In another instant, they took him up on a mountain. They wanted to push him down. But the Bible says he just walked right through them. Because that was not that he should not be killed throwing down or he should not be killed by stoning. And even before that, you know, during his birth also, we see how this uh, king Herod, he was so, you know, rage with fury and anger, he ordered all the children that is less than two years old to be killed. But Jesus would not have been killed in that way also because his hands has to be pierced. His feet has to be pierced. So God had a right time. And that's why we, we read in Galatians chapter 4. 
Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 it says when the fullness of time came you know if you turn to Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 yeah when the fullness of time came is there isn't it when the fullness of time came so what is that fullness of time god's right the all the prophecies and all the dreams that god gave has to be come to the right place to be fulfilled and that is during the time of romans and even during the time of romans we see that you know that is the time when the known world was well developed you know the rome uh, during the, it was the time of romans that the uh, you know the transport the communication were well developed that uh, you know god made it everything to happen on the right time and we have one more uh, example um in same daniel chapter 9 verse 24 to 27 in daniel chapter 2 we read we read about the statue because that uh, stone which is actually is a picture of jesus christ you know the kingdom of god it would not come during the babylon it would not come during the time of um, you know medo persians or the greek but at the time of the uh, not even after the romans just uh, where it is a transition of time between romans and the european empire uh, the 10 kingdoms okay now we'll come to daniel chapter 9 there he is speaking about 70 weeks god said 70 weeks have to go you know after 69 weeks i think uh, this may be bitter you know for some of us this max has always been a problem so we might find it bit but simple is uh, like this 69 weeks and then one week and 69 weeks have been finished and that one week is will be started with the time of the antichrist and the time that we have between 69th week and the 70th week is the time that we are in so it is in this week it is during this time that jesus has to be killed because the decree is like that after you know so many years then the messiah will come then he will be cut off and then the things will happen now if you read the epistles you will understand even after death of jesus christ and the resurrection of jesus christ at that time itself paul and peter says we are living in the last days you remember reading it we wonder we are here after 2000 years and we wonder how peter who was during the time of jesus and paul who was just after jesus they say you know we are in the last days and somebody said we are on the 11th uh, you know uh, 59th minute of the 11th or whatever it is you know we are in the last days but we know that it is at this time that jesus has to be killed so when we read when we take all these passages we know god's mind you know sin came on a tree and he has to be atoned for on a tree a curse came because of the tree and a blessing should come because of a tree and the tree is cross and the cross can come only during the time of romans because david says he will be pierced but david did not know anything about what does it mean but now we know from the word of god that jesus was pierced and the bible and he says during the statue all these kingdoms but in the end then the kingdom of god will come and we know at the, at the, the uh, romans and after the romans they became the the european empire the 10 nations they the clay and the iron mixed together and here we find the jesus came at the right place and also the 69th week is over and there's a one week and in between we have the church period the period of grace and jesus was killed okay now we have done this jesus and the cross now we have to go, we are going to cross and the sinner okay jesus has done god has done everything on the cross at the right time and everything has been done perfectly now we come to the sinner now somebody somebody said uh, god can meet a sinner only at the cross 
Now, why he, he should say like that? Because God is holy and he is righteous and also he is full of wrath. Now, Bible says he is a jealous God. Jealous God means not the way we understand. I'm jealousy about, you know, this person or about that. Not, he's a jealous God. In Tamil, it says our Vairakya Mullah. I don't know how, why they translate to zealous God, is it? I don't know. It should be zeal, a God full of zeal about himself. He will not let his glory to be given to anybody. He is a jealous God. He is holy God. He is who he is. You know, man in his sinful state can never come closer to him. In the Old Testament, we know that people were scared. Literally, they were scared. They said, oh, we have seen God and we are going to die. Because the Bible says no man has ever seen God and no man can ever see God. It is through the Lord Jesus Christ that we could have such a wonderful relationship with the Almighty God. So a sinner... When uh, the Bible says the wages of sin and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And um, the Bible also speaks about the righteousness of God. So when we say God is love, yes, indeed God is love. But at the same time, God is also righteous. You know, on the cross, the love of God and the righteousness of God both were displayed. I will uh, say it like this. You know, somebody came to the court. And I can take myself as an example. And uh, the man, the judge calls. The next one who is coming is Thomas. Okay, he, Thomas comes and stands trembling. Have you done all this, all this, all this? Uh, yes, I have done all this. And you are, a, and you are found guilty, and you are a sinner, and you are found guilty, and you are punished. And that's what should have been happened to every one of us. And um, because God is love, the Bible says that punishment which should have come on you and I, it came on Jesus. All the God's, you know, the anger and the wrath, it fell on Jesus instead of Thomas. Because on the cross is a substitutionary death. The wrath of God, you know, we seldom talk about the wrath of God. God is a consuming fire. He's a, the wrath of God, we understand that wrath of God is right there from the beginning. From the beginning. You know, uh, uh, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve committed sin, you know, we find that, you know, the, there was so much of, you know, things happened that literally God, you know, Bible says God sent them out. That's a very, sometimes the Bible uses some polite word also. says send them out. I remember singing a song where it says God kicked them out, you know. <laughs> There's a song that goes like that, you know. It's a sort of a pop and a, a rap song. It says, you know, God kicked them out. That's what happened actually. Because the anger, anger of God was... Uh, on man that he literally he chased them out you know chased them out and then he put a flaming sword that man could never enter it again i mean till till the time of christ so we find the wrath of god even in john chapter 3 verse 36 if you return to john chapter 3 verse 36 it says the wrath of god is on all unbelievers isn't it so? John chapter 3, verse 36. Yeah, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God abides on him. Wrath of God is, we can say literally, we can say God is so angry about the condition of man, you know, what man has done to him. There was a man called Jonathan Edwards. I don't know, uh, some of you might know him, might read about him, Jonathan Edwards, and in England, and uh, he was a mighty man used by God for revival. And the history says he spoke a message on the, the title is, 
uh, a sinner in the hands of an angry God. A sinner in the hands of an angry God. And as he was sharing about, you know, the wrath of God and the condition of a sinner, the move of the Holy Spirit was so mighty that people began to, you know, to shout and to yell. And literally people were holding on to the chairs and the post. You can read it in the uh, net. Um, it's happened literally. They were clinging on to the pillars and whatever they could hold on and, uh, you know, to save them. Literally, they could see that they are sliding down to hell. And that was, and uh, the history says, Jonathan could not finish his sermon. Where there was so much of, you know, cry and wailing and people shouting to save them from sliding down to the hellfire. And that is the condition, actually, we are in. If anybody who has not accepted the Lord Jesus as a savior, that is the condition. And we find that uh, the wrath of God is so much that instead of showing it on Thomas, what God did, he showed it on Jesus. When you read about Isaiah, it says he was crushed. He was torn to pieces. He said that his flesh was torn and he was crushed and he was trampled. And he was literally, we can say, he was pound. You know, we normally say if you are angry, if you have so much of another you know, anger management, if you are angry, so much of anger about a person, you take a pillow and just go on, you know, knock it, knock the pillow and let the anger go. Isn't it? You say, come on, go punch the pillow till you feel that your anger is gone. Now, that's what, I mean, I don't know how it sounds to you, but... <laughs> That's what God did. God's anger just poured out on Jesus. And Jesus did not die a dignified death. Jesus did not die a comfortable death. You know, electric chair, just in a bush, then a few seconds you're gone. No. And in the Old Testament, we have an incident where the Bible says, if the high priest has to enter the most holy place, the blood has to be sprinkled Seven, seven times. You know, if you know what the waters may, you can read it. It says, blood has to be sprinkled seven times and before the high priest can go into the most holy place and to do things. And we can understand God made Jesus to shed blood in seven places. And that could happen only the cross. The procedure of the, uh, you know, standard operational procedure for crucifying a man on the cross, he should be flogged, he should be hit, and all these things should be done, and he should this, this done, and this done. When you take that right from the Garden of Gethsemane to the last piercing by the side, if you really, if you check that, Jesus shed blood in seven places. And exactly, that's why Jesus, when died on the cross, he said it is finished. When Jesus said it is finished, somebody said it is, I, why uh, I mean, uh, the Holy Spirit has used the word finished. Uh, we have, in English, we have written finished. But in the Greek, it is called tetelest, uh, tetelestai. Tetelestai. It means something deeper than just finished. It was perfectly accomplished. It was something that was perfectly finished. You know, the sacrifice that has been going for nearly 4,000 years, the blood that was being shed year after year after year came to end right with the blood of Jesus. Somebody said it is at the cross that Satan stops. He cannot move one inch further into the cross. He has to stop because there is a divine blood stain on the cross. So we find... Uh, and in the court, he says, you are found guilty, okay? But I, what do I do? I, because of God's love, because the judge loves you so much, he says, okay, I forgive you and set you, go. No, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Bible doesn't say that. He says, you are found guilty and he has to be punished. But then suddenly somebody appears and says, 
I will take that punishment. It's not that God simply forgave my sins and set me free. No, his righteous requirement was done by Jesus on the cross. So every time I think about how much God has forgiven me, I also have to remember how much this Jesus took my punishment on him. So this forgiveness on the my forgiveness of sin has to go with the gratitude of towards Jesus for what he did for us. Not just, oh, God has forgiven me, I am so happy. No. I'm happy that I have been forgiven, but it is because of Jesus. So Jesus can, yes, God can meet a sinner only at the cross. And Jesus took the full punishment on the cross. And now what, what happens on the cross is, like for a sinner, what has happened, Jesus, by dying on the cross, Jesus has paid the penalty of our sin. And also Jesus has paid uh, on the cross so that the power of sin also can be broken. The penalty has been done, has been penalty of the cross has been done, and the power of the power of sin is also been done with. Now the penalty we have seen all this time. We have seen a penalty the wages of sin is death, and Jesus tasted death on behalf of us. And uh, regarding this uh, <clears throat> uh, penalty of sin, uh, we have this. Uh, you know, um, the death on the cross, actually, we can say Jesus tasted death in all his forms. That is something that is uh, quite in the scriptures. Man died, uh, man's death is physical and spiritual. And Jesus tasted death in all his forms to redeem mankind. So death, that's what Paul says, oh, death, where is thy sting? Just broken. Okay, Jesus tasted death in all his forms. It's not just mere physical death, but the spiritual death and death to the uttermost. Jesus experienced that. Now regarding the power of sin, we say that uh, the power of sin has also been broken on the cross. We read in, a, you know, in a Romans chapter 6 verse 14, Romans chapter 6 verse 14, it says, uh, you are no more under sin because uh, sin shall not have dominion over you because you are no more under the law but under grace. Because you are under grace, sin shall not have dominion over you. That means the power of sin has been broken on the cross. Okay, now uh, nowadays, the sin, uh, the severity of sin is uh, being, you know, undermined. It is, you know, this, uh, we don't know the severity of sin. You know, I remember when I was studying in MCC sometime in the late 70s, and um, there was a skit, you know, we used to have this skit. And one skit was something very strange. It went like this, and there was a... Uh, uh, bald man and a beard man and um, a bald man and a beard man okay so this beard man he was packing up everything in a suitcase and he was rushing and this bald man he said hey where are you going what is happening why are you in such a hurry then the beard man says you know there was a time when somebody you know committed a sin like homosex then immediately he was, you know, killed immediately. And after some time, we find that uh, the laws changed. They said, it, we can commute the sentence to life sentence. So here is uh, just a life sentence. And after a few years, then it came that uh, that life sentence was reduced to, okay, 10 years of life. And uh, after that also, they, it was a funny case. So they said, uh, now, after all that, one, uh, the one time he says, you know, if you commit something wrong like a homosex, then they said you, that man must be cleanly, sh you know, shaven, shorn, and then he must be paraded on the street. And then after that, it became, uh, you know, easy that uh, they say just gave a severe warning to that man and let him go. So the bald man says, so, so what? What's happening to you? He says, I'm running away from this, from this place 
before it becomes compulsory. <laughs> That's what is happening now. You know, right in the church, if you just see the news, they say same-sex people can be married in the church. You know, churches have opened the doors. They say, you two guys, come. We are ready to get you married in the church. You come, we are ready to get you. You know that we are living in such a time now. So we find man has begun to lose the severity because that is a trick of the devil. Devil wants to undermine the severity of sin. He wants, he's using the world to change the terms. They say once it was sin, but now it is just a shortcoming. You know, once it was sin, but now it is uh, it's just a misbehavior. You know, things are changing that we don't realize how serious sin is. But what God calls sin, it is sin. Okay, so because people have tend to dilute the sin that we do, we are, we are not able to see the severity of sin. But sin was totally broken on the power of sin was broken on the cross. And uh, <clears throat> we see if you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, we read how people were once under the power of this world. Now, Paul says, you were once, you know, literally ruled by the world. You know, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Yeah, it says, it says something about the world. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. It says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Literally, every, everybody who is outside the cross lives the life ruled by the world. Now the world. Now the word world has a different meaning in the Bible. When God says God so loved the world, he speaks about the people in this world. And when Paul says do not be confirmed to this world, he speaks about the evil things and the things that are contrary to the will of God. So here we find before we were born again, literally we were ruled by this world. And John says, John says in his epistle, love not this world, do not love this world because whatever that comes from this world is against God. It says it is the lust of the flesh, it is the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. These things are, are what you could see in the world. And even now we can say, they, uh, they explain like this, that when we say world, the system of the world is actually is something that is against God's system. The system of the world is against God's system. So we have to be very careful about how, uh, this understanding. Because the world, as we, as uh, you know, things keep changing, as with the culture, everything's being changed, we have to see whether we as believers are right in the system of God and not in the system of the world. The world says, you're equal, you're same. The world says, you know, everybody has to be treated equally. All these things are there, but we have to see the God's plan, his creation, his order, and his hierarchy. So we have to be very careful about that. And John says that what are the things that come out of the world? It is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the uh, eyes, and the pride of life. If we go back to the Garden of Eden, you know, uh, Eve, just, uh, Eve was attracted to the fruit. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 verse 6, you saw that uh, fruit and it was good. Can you turn to Genesis chapter 3 verse 6? He says it, it is something that is good for food, you know, the appetite to, you know, uh, to satisfy my flesh. It is good to eat and it was pleasant to the eyes. It was something very attractive. And also, thirdly, it will make me, what, wise. So John, John is 
keeping that in his mind. He says those three things, lust of the flesh, and then lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These three things which brought Adam and Eve down. And um, when Jesus was tested on the, you know, he said after this uh, 40 days of fasting, Jesus was tested, isn't it? He was, you know, the temptation of Jesus. And if you see, he was tested, he was tempted in three ways. Exactly the same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden. And Paul writing his letter in the Corinthian, he says, compares first Adam, that is first man Adam, then the last man, Jesus. Last Adam, Jesus. Where Adam failed, Jesus overcame. Where Adam failed in this world, Jesus overcame the world. That's why he could say, I overcame this world. You know, Jesus said that very verse. He said in John chapter 16, verse 33, John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I overcame the world. So you can find that in Jesus Christ, through the cross, the world, the power of sin has been defeated, has been broken. So, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. These are the three things which Satan uses to, you know, against people to commit sin and to be in sin. But these things were completely broken on the cross. And not only that, we also read in Ephesians chapter 2, 14, 15, and 16, Ephesians chapter 2, 14, 15, and 16, he says, Jesus abolished the law on the cross. And Jesus broke in, uh, broke the wall of partition on the cross. You know, this law has been abolished. That is uh, entirely is a different subject. And uh, he says, Jesus broke the partition wall on the cross. Now that is a wonderful verse. You know, somebody said, what Jesus has demolished and what Jesus has broken, don't try to rebuild. What is exactly is the meaning? If you read the verses just in Ephesians chapter 2, he's speaking about, you know, the Jews and the Gentiles. The two groups are there. The Jews would not have anything to, the Israelites, the Jews would not have anything to do with the Gentiles. Uh, but Paul says, God has broken that wall of division, wall of the partition. Now, God has brought both together to make a new man, a one man. That means anything that you think that divides you from another man, it could be a caste, creed, or whatever it is. If you think this, I am different from this person, there is a wall. And Jesus broke it on the cross. So in Christ, there is no caste, no creed, and no language, nothing. We all are one body and one, you know, family in the Lord. And um, this has to be very, very, this is very important. Because somebody said uh, on the, you know, the cross, just beneath the cross, you know, it's, there's a level ground. You know, how educated you are, but how any, any uneducated you are illiterate, or illiterate, never mind. When you come to the cross, you're you're standing the same platform like others. And Paul saying uses that I think in Timothy he says, um, when he, while speaking about the you know the workers he says, when you find you are in a church and you are in a fellowship and then you find some suddenly you find your boss coming and sitting there in the church then don't immediately go around and put your hand on his shoulder and say, hello, brother, how are you? No, don't say that. You know, Paul says, that's what Paul is writing. He says, even though you are same in the church, and if you are one, but you have to be remember that he is your master and you are a servant. Okay? So, obey him. That's what Paul says. You know, when you are outside under him, you obey him, and he is your master and you are a servant. But in the church, you all are same. Doesn't mean that you can take advantage of your master. No. So all are same. And uh, it is on the cross that the penalty of sin was done. All the 
wrath of God was completely taken away on the cross. I think some of you might have read this Pilgrim Progress, you know, the, this book written by John Bunyan, Pilgrim Progress. And there's a character by name called Christian. And suddenly he, he gets the you know, conviction of sin. And he finds that there's a big sack you know, attached to him, the sack of sin. He tried his best to shrug off that sack of sin, but he couldn't. But the moment he was led and he reached the cross, suddenly he finds that sin just rolls away from him. And he sits so free. And that's what happened on the cross. It is at the cross that Jesus forgave every one of us. God forgave every one of us on the cross, but at the expense of Jesus. Please always keep that attached to your forgiveness. I was forgiven, but he was crushed. It is because of his blood that I could able to stand before him as his son. The blood, the, I stand before the before God as his son because of the expense of Jesus Christ. Okay? I think I'll just finish it with the, there's another one, maybe later on, uh, God willing, we can meditate on cross and a believer. Okay? So we have seen the place of cross in the life of Christ. It was right in the, during the time of Romans that the cross began to be used and it was a humiliating death on the cross. But God at the right time fulfilled his plan. God had to wait. God would rather make people wait till the right time comes. Okay? And it is at the, so it was just a perfect plan of God. At the right time, Jesus died for us. And because of the cross, the penalty of sin has been taken and the power of sin has been taken. The wrath of God was completely fulfilled on the cross. The righteous requirement of God was completely fulfilled on the cross. And that's why Jesus could able to boldly take his blood and go appear into the most holy presence of God and to intercede and plead on our behalf. Praise be to the Lord. May the Lord continue to speak to us.